This is Shaco Art Speak. So welcome to Shaco Art Speak. I'm Ryan Letario and uh, I'm here with a co-host Gareth Blackwell. And uh, hey. uh, yeah, how's it going, Gareth? Good. Good um, today. Gareth supplied some donuts this morning, so I have a uh, I'm having a little bit of a sugar rush, which means in about 30 minutes I'm gonna have a sugar low. Uh, so that'll be good for conversation, I think. Yeah, I'll just, yeah. I'll just pick up those pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll sugar crash. So, um, so Shaco Art Speak, we're in our third episode and things are starting to roll. We have uh, uh, just a big lineup this year. We have 16 episodes for our first year lined up. And so, um, and one of the things we wanted to kind of hit at today is, is uh, sort of some of the why of Shaco Art Speak. And one of the things that I'm uh, constantly sort of kicking around with uh, other artists and friends of mine and, and as an instructor uh, at, a, at a university with students of mine is that I think it's important for artists to both know and be known by each other, but also the surrounding culture that they're making work in. And the question is, uh, how do we do that? Uh, how do we find a way uh, to, to be both known and to know one another to such an extent that some of, I think, the, the aspirations that... Uh, artists have can, can uh, be manifested or brought forward in, in, in compelling ways. So um, without knowing and being known, I don't think that that's possible. And so we've seen that a lot. We've seen a lot of artists that um, rely on galleries as they traditionally are considered, and uh, which means a lot of time not exhibiting means a lot of time not being known. And so um, we've thought a lot about uh, avenues and platforms that could help to facilitate that uh what do you got any thoughts on that gareth yeah i think you know it's um i think as we go through art school we we get used to this kind of community of mm -hmm. each other right and we're around each other um and as soon as that kind of um constructed reality kind of fades away after graduation i think it's harder to keep that in place there's mm -hmm. a lot more work that goes into it right um and i so so i think that we we reach these places where we uh, things get a little weird sometimes. And so um, after kind of coming to that knowledge, there is like a better idea that there's a, there's a fuller ecosystem that contributes to like the holistic health and uh, well-being of like artists and art and the culture that surrounds it. And so it really is kind of um, more important than we may realize functionally to get into spaces where that community can be bolstered in all ways, not just in exhibition, but also in, you know, encouraging the work you're doing, you know, critiques, people that write about things, you know, mm -hmm. a, a lot of different avenues that really help make that community feel a lot more generative um, than sometimes it might feel. Yeah. Uh, even the, the collaboration component, um, the, the new possibility component, uh, uh, doesn't happen overnight and it, it doesn't happen a lot of times unless there's ways to actually really dial into each other. And, uh, and so we, we've thought about that a lot in, over the years and, and, uh, running Shaco art space years ago before it was Shaco art space, we were doing a lot of open, open critiques and we get anywhere from 20 to 50 people here looking at three people's art for an hour a piece. And, um, sometimes it'd be a lower number, but I mean, one of the things that, uh, sort of started to come out of that as a constant refrain is how much people appreciated the depth of conversation coupled with the accessibility or the, the ease by which people could enter in without the clicks uh, that were uh, often indicative of um, their experiences. And so, um, and out of that, uh, you started to see mutual support 
and then uh, kind of uh, the word going out about each other to each other and multiplied. It was multiplicitous. And so um, so we're looking at this podcast is operating out of Shaka Art Space, which, which is a nonprofit uh, gallery space, um, over 2,000 square feet of gallery. Uh, we're looking at this podcast is a means to, to achieve some of that, to carry some of that conversation that we've been having in crits and in studio visits with artists uh, into a format that gets it into more people's hands and, and opens up new possibilities. Maybe we, uh, somebody hears this that's really interested in talking with us and sharing some of what they're doing. You know, uh, we, we hope this opens up more possibilities uh, as we do, do more of these episodes. And especially we're, we're gonna be launching an art and design journal in the, in the upcoming year to two years, it's in development. And so we see uh, those two facets being uh, mutually enhancing each other in terms of content and idea generation and and again, uh, spreading the word, not just to artists, but also to collectors and thinking about the fact that there's a lot of people that would probably be interested in supporting art if they had uh, safer, easier ways of peering in and, and getting acquainted with uh, without feeling some of the pretense, I think, that sometimes intimidates people away from art. And so that's another objective of ours is to to really uh, uh, patiently cultivate uh, uh, su support from patrons and, and um collectors and, and people that want to actually come and look at art and not feel uh, utterly intimidated by it. And so um, so that's sort of uh, a little bit of a window into why we're doing this. And you'll hear us say know and be known quite a bit. Um, it's just a kind of common refrain going forward. Uh, it's just a reminder of what part of the goal this is. Um, you know, I was thinking about too, like I think it's worth uh, mentioning that um, this podcast is meant to be more of a conversation starter uh, more than it's merely meant to be uh, just you know answering questions or, or closing down conversations. So it's not meant to be exhaustive, although we want conversations to have the freedom to go where they, they need to with each other. And uh, the assumption there is that there'll be more time to talk, uh, whether it's in the podcast or elsewhere, you know, at a gallery opening or another event we'll be hosting or future podcasts. And so part of this is, you know, we don't, we don't have it all together. And so we're, we're, figuring things out ourselves and, and uh, just kind of want to be open to a larger audience uh, seeing into that process for us. So um, so something else that we want to consider is how much this is meant to be a conversation starter, you know, uh, beyond merely just the podcast itself. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So, so we have uh, our exhibiting artist uh, is currently up at Chaco Art Space uh, with the solo exhibition Surface Space. Uh, from Austin, Texas, drove 21 hours to be here. Yeah, 21. It's 21 hours. Not so, all at once. Not all at once in, in two set two two variables. No, I think it was like three, right? Did you all do mm -hmm. three? Three three stops? Um, two. Two um, stops. No, one, maybe. That's amazing. Yeah. I take two, day, two days. I have to go to the bathroom so much. It's like 30 stops. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there was that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So we have we have Lana Waldrip Apple with us, uh, Austin-based painter. Welcome, Lana. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're uh, the show is incredible, and we have I think there's 28 pieces in this show, uh, all paintings, a lot of paintings on linen with mm -hmm. oil, yeah. uh, which which is produced uh, a lovely quality in the work throughout, and so um, so yeah. So we're we're excited to talk about your work. Um, give can you give us a little bit of a I, I, like, I think it's important to kind of hear some of the, the background of, of how our artists are coming 
to art? Like, where did that start for you? Sure. Um, and so just kind of curious to hear a little bit of like, how, how did you get serious? Because you are a serious painter. So how did yes. you get, how did you become a serious painter? Whew, it's a long story. Um, I think that art has just always kind of been a part of my life. It's hard to really pick an origin story. Um, I started to get more interested in the idea of pursuing art um, as a career when I was you know, in high school, you know, you start thinking about what you want to do in college, that type of thing. Um, you know, so I started kind of veering into that in high school and I, I had an experience where like my high school art teacher had nominated me to do this, um, pre-college program at a local university at, um, at TCU in mm -hmm. Fort Worth at, um, Texas Christian University. For those of you who art in Texas and don't know what TCU stands for. Um, I thought that was like a frozen yogurt place. So no, TCU. <laughs> sorry. Um, but anyway, so, um, I did that pre-college program when I was, um, 17 before my senior year of high school. And it was a really good experience. And I just really enjoyed the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was my first time like painting in oil mm. and I just loved the medium um, right from the start. Um, and it was great. So I decided like, okay, this is what I want to do. And I didn't really put too much planning into things at that age. Like, um, I applied to TCU. I applied to the university of Texas at Austin. My parents said if I went to TCU that I would have to live at home. So I went to UT Austin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, so I've kind Thanks, of been, mom and dad. <laughs> I, I mean, it made it really easy. I mean, TCU is a private university, right, right, so, right. um, that kind of, you know, helped make that decision clear. Yeah. Um, it was a really good experience and, um, just lots of experiences in college. And, you know, I think remember my third year of, of college, like, you know, the, the spring before, you know, this, like the end of my third year of college, I was just like what am I going to do with an art degree? And, um, you know, I had a painting professor and she was very encouraging of me. She's like, Oh, you're a painter. And I just didn't exactly know what that meant yet. Mm -hmm. But I had lots of, um, you know, experiences, interaction with people. It kind of helped me begin to feel my way through that gradually through the years. And, mm -hmm. um, I've always really seen, um, seen my life as an artist as a long haul thing. Mm -hmm. Not like I have to be at this level right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm more interested in like thinking about my studio practice as sustainable mm -hmm. and like, how do I maintain a sustainable art practice and a life and, um, you know, thinking about how I can, you know, keep myself in it and also keep myself grounded. Mm. Um, so anyway, I guess that's my long origin story. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm interested in the, I mean, maybe we might jump around a little bit, but mm -hmm. the, uh, just the, the grounded part, I, I, I don't hear that a lot. As, I mean, I, I think about myself as an artist and a lot of my friends, like back in the day, years mm -hmm. ago, 20 years ago, like, I don't know that we, like, I felt like we were so caught up in the urgency of the moment that I didn't mm -hmm. have the, the full, I mean, I like the idea of being an artist for a long time. Yeah. But but I didn't have a grasp of what it 
what it would look like to be grounded and to sustain it. Yeah. I mean, I just had to think about being very honest with myself about uh-huh. like, okay, what's going to give me what I need to have to be able to have a lifelong studio practice to um, make work that I feel good about. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I feel like, yeah, I mean, just kind of being honest with myself, like what's going to, what's going to work for me. And, you know, I don't like the idea of like, um, you know, segmenting off certain parts of my life arbitrarily, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Um, so I guess that's, that's yeah. what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't, I'm trying to avoid using the word work-life balance. Right. But it, that's kind <laughs> of like the closest thing that kind of comes to mind. I think you, you can really easily burn yourself out. And there was this article circulating about how millennials are like the burnout generation. Right. And like, I'm smack in the middle of that generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's just something, just something that I've kind of maybe always thought about. Is, you know, how do I create space to have the energy yeah. to do this? Yeah, and yeah. To, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think the burnout thing is an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that there's it's sort of uh, exhausting a meal prematurely. Like I remember when I was first in Sacramento going to college by myself mm-hmm. in a legitimate way. Like I didn't know how to shop for groceries. So I I like legitimately would spend like student loan money on like my groceries. And I, the first few times I'd spend like $300 on groceries for just me. I didn't know what to do. And then, uh, and then I would, and then I would eat all the food in the, like the first two or three days. Wow. Cause I didn't know how to like sustain, yeah. I, yeah. I could not, not mm. live in like the intensity of the moment. And it was yeah. too tempting to just exhaust what was available. It was too good. Uh-huh. And so then I would exhaust it and then I would be depleted and miserable. And I, I don't know, like, I wonder if that's like a metaphor for kind of like burnout Maybe. generation you know like yeah. we, there's an abundance we have an abundance mm-hmm. but we don't know how to um kind of like relate to the abundance and so we just yeah. burn up consuming all of it quickly you know i don't yeah, know I think, that's, I, think that's, yeah. I think that's a pretty good metaphor for it um i i'd like to kind of go a little further like in terms okay. of the practical nature of that like what does it look like to practice your art sustainably if you have any kind of insight kind of looking back on that what is what are some skills that you've kind of developed that help you sustain that practice well um one is just thinking about like one thing like when I was getting at the end of my time here at VCU um there's always that question of where you're going next Mm -hmm. and I think that there was like a little bit of pressure like to like move to New York and I knew that just wasn't gonna happen for me Mm -hmm. like that's just you know the cost of living, like coming from Texas, you know, the cost of living is lower. I mean, maybe not in Austin now, like Austin's like very expensive now, but I knew that wasn't going to happen for me. Like I knew that moving there would mean working to live would mean working extreme amount hours of the day and then being able to still have creative energy left to, to have that life and then to also go see shows. It just didn't really feel like something. I mean, maybe I don't have like a ton of energy. <laughs> maybe I just need like a lot more quiet in mm. my my mind in order to be to to continue to do things. So, you know, I I felt like okay, you know, I'm gonna, you know, kind of create a life that I feel like will meet will continue to be able to allow 
need to make work. Um, so thinking like, okay, I don't want to exhaust all of my creative energy at a job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, and I think like for me, like my, my lifestyle, like the people that I surround myself with, my relationships, like uh, my husband is a huge part of my life, my kids. And this is kind of like jumping around kind of into the, into the future now. But um, I think that, you know, having like, like that, that solid home life and mm-hmm. then having relationships with people and, um, you know, their job. Like, you know, I intentionally, you know, wanted to, you know, work at a university. Like I wanted to be surrounded by ideas and um, people who are making things that, I find compelling. Um, all of those things that, that are around yourself, you kind of like curate your own existence mm-hmm. um, to help you be to help you be successful. So you know, picking you know picking a life that's gonna set you up for being able to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of yeah. kind of seeing what kinds of conditions are yeah uh, like, necessary. Mm-hmm. Like um, what's gonna help make it happen? Like. I don't know, maybe I could have gone about it in a totally different way, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe it, it would have, would have worked for me, but I don't know. I mean, how, how yeah. does, so, cause we were in, I was in school with you. I graduated mm-hmm. from VCU, uh, painting and printing a program in 2009 and then you in 2010. So we yes. had a little, we had a year of overlap mm-hmm. and, um, what I remember of you was very, very focused. I, yes. mean, I remember you being very focused. So yeah. it's, it's fun and interesting to hear you talk a decade later about your kind of long, long view. Cause I don't, I don't yes. know that we had conversations like that in uh-huh. graduate school together. And I don't think, you know, we talked about that much as, mm-hmm. uh, as just the students that were all, when we were all there together. Yeah. Um, and the question that comes to mind for me is, so you have your studio and you have opportunity. So, you know, we're in grad school together and there's a lot of talk of going to New York. There's like a yes. large, really wonderful contingency of VCU arts, Yes. Graduates from sculpture and painting and craft and uh, photography, photo film. A lot of uh, amazing uh, artists are in New York and uh, from VCU and doing incredible things. Like mm-hmm. that's been a thing for a while. Yeah. And so to kind of be a part of that alumni, I guess. But um, I know that those be, those were like these short term ends that had the temp the potential to affect what I made in the studio. And for yes. you, I'm, I'm hearing you say that you had a long view. And I'm wondering how the long view, it's sort of like where mm-hmm. you're headed impacts what you're doing in the moment. And so I'm just, I'm just curious to know, like, was that a, long, a larger influence over the, the paintings you were making then, um, then, then the temptation to, to, to flick you need to go to New York to establish mm-hmm. yourself? Like, so in terms of content, image making, the, just the way you were painting, um, uh, how was that? Was that affected? Do you, do you think in a, in a way the outcome, like what you focused on, the content, sure. uh, was that impacted or influenced by the... Because it sounds like mm-hmm. when something is long-term, there's a little bit of a pressure that's taken off and mm-hmm. therefore possibly a little more freedom and, sure. and, and, a, and a, okay. a removal of anxiety. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, like, I guess I'm getting at like um, maybe less interested in... Um, I don't know, making things that are, that feel very, I don't, I want to, I want to avoid using the word trendy because it uh-huh. can get really pejorative. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. but maybe that. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that there's definitely, like I've always been 
very conscious of, um, you know, like wanting to be a part of the conversation, Mm -hmm. um, like wanting to be a part of the conversation that's happening now. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I mean, I think that's true of everybody though. Right. You know, everybody who's having a creative life, like you want to, like you want to sincerely be a part of this, this broader conversation that's happening now. Um, But at the same time, you also want to be, you know, doing your own thing, Mm -hmm. like as much as you can. I mean, like there's really no such thing as um, originality, like really, I mean, but I mean, yeah, I mean, like there's this this delicate balance, like of like being true to making work that you want to make, but at the same time also not just, you know, becoming like a hermit. You know, yeah. so it was never yeah, like yeah, yeah. that. It was never like a like a hermetic thing. Um, I think it's just, you know, and I feel like you know maybe some people kind of like like could could possibly twist it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mean, there's obviously like like goals to connect and um, to stay up on what's going on, but at the same time, like you know, maybe you're not not getting so caught up in some sort of hustle and bustle. Yeah, I feel like it, I, I don't know how this, uh, how, how you think about this, Gareth, but I feel like mm-hmm. the uh, sometimes there's a perceived benefit dangled in front of you, mm-hmm. you know, maybe by somebody who has more access. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so going backwards for a second, because I'm thinking about what she said uh, that you had a teacher that kind of a almost like anointed or affirmed something in you. Like, well, you're a yeah, yeah, And, and, yeah. I, and mm-hmm. I want to come back around to that because mm-hmm. you're, you're a professor now. And I want to mm-hmm. talk about like the, that, the power in that or the need, the necessity of that almost sometimes. Yeah. It feels like somebody outside of you has to kind of affirm something in you that you, it's hard to kind of self-affirm. And yeah. so there's something about that. But I'm also kind of, uh, I kind of question that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't, maybe one person shouldn't need that. You know? Yeah. I mean, maybe, and I, I think that's, that's where I think it's an interesting mm-hmm. conversation because yeah. you're, because now you're in that position sure. where mm-hmm. um, I'm in that role. Gareth's in that role yeah. where people want that affirmation. And sometimes you're like, I mean, it creates attention, but there is, yeah. I had some seminal moments where somebody was like, mm-hmm. well, my conscience was a little bit uh, unclear. They just happened to be serendipitously there uh, affirming something that I could not mm-hmm. at that time grasp for myself. Um, but also thinking about that as a, as a, uh, it is a rhythm that is set up. So mm-hmm. as you advance, now you have maybe a critic or, or somebody who has access to greater galleries or, mm-hmm. and, and now there's a, there's an opportunity that's there and there's maybe some edges you got to soften and some, some mm-hmm. ideas you got to shift a little bit yeah. in order to obtain to that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then that can, I've, I've seen that I've seen people chase that in a band to the, to the detriment of the work. Yeah, um, you know, and, and I don't know. I feel like you, you, you're, you're resisting that, or you, you resisted that. You managed to not do that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just temperamental too. Like, um, I've been told that I'm a bit of a contrarian, uh-huh. <laughs> just by by nature. Um, so I think like it's really hard to separate like any of that from just the person that the person that I am. Like. Um, I think, um, in some extent, like even like as a younger person, like somewhat immune to peer pressure, like it mm-hmm. doesn't work. Yeah. Um, um, maybe I'm really stubborn. Um, it really just, I have, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What do you think, Gareth? I think I don't know. It's it's interesting because I see I hear what both of y'all are saying, but I think also there's a there's a point in like art or design education mm-hmm. where students are doing things, um, kind of out of either a natural reflex or just something that they've enjoyed enough to mm-hmm. hone to yeah. a point where they may not actually be noticing like where their actual like skills are. Yeah. And I think that's, it's one of the things fantastic about like a foundations program, because Mm -hmm. I I think if, I don't know that our experience in art and design changes greatly from when we graduate high school to when we graduate grad school in Mm -hmm. terms of kind of the shiny lights being the things that help us. So we think of our destination a lot of times a whole lot more than we think of the actual path that gets us there. Um, Yeah. And I think that's kind of uh, a lot of what you're saying about um, you didn't go to New York because you knew that it wasn't going to actually impact your work well. No, I mean, I th- I'm pretty sure I would stop making work. Mm. I think I would, first of all, I don't know how I would have physically survived, just financially speaking. Yeah. I, would, I went to grad school at 23 years old with no money, like for myself. I had just gotten my first credit card. Um, like, I mean, so I graduated at, at 25 years old and yeah, I mean, I think, I think that a lot of times like, yeah, I mean, maybe I could have gotten set up with some job, but I mean, I just didn't think that there was any, like looking at the cost of just an apartment and just the, I just had no idea how I would have physically been capable of that i mean some people i don't i don't know i don't know how that works for them I, it's not for me um, yeah 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 so, so, some but, folks do it and they're they like yeah they make it happen just yeah like, they just you did it. i guess yeah. like yeah i mean i was just kind of i didn't know how it was going to happen and i was just very worried that i just would get so caught up in having to figure out how to live mm-hmm. that there wouldn't be enough mental energy to continue to make work and to me that was seemed like a threat um like to me like the 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 goal was to continue to make work Mm -hmm. just continue to make work and how am i going to do that um so that was that's a big part of it i mean i think i've been really i mean i think like you always kind of like look back at artists you find maybe really inspirational and whose like story, like you don't want to get too into cult of personality, but, um, but whose stories feel like they resonate with you. Yeah. And, you know, people like Cezanne and Mirandi, like mm-hmm. they were just like their stories and like their works like, really influential. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, um, really kind of felt like that, that fit with me. Yeah. Like, okay. Like this, I mean, like, this kind of long view. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. really interesting. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I, mm-hmm. I am, you know, I'm a long view person. Yeah. So, um, just maybe took me a little longer to longer to get to the long. Yeah. View. yeah, yeah. <laughs> took me, mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, I love that you're bringing up, uh, Mirandi and, uh, Cezanne. I, I, it's said in the past that if you, if you lined up Cezanne and Picasso, in, in, in like a sports analogy kind of way, uh-huh. Picasso just like wanted to hit home runs, yeah, and get get there in as few strokes as possible, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, virtuoso, but he just he wanted the the lights, like he, the the call personality. And Cezanne was like the opposite; like he was yeah. like he was like 
almost as geologic as his paintings were like uh-huh. they just slowly unfolded and he yes. kind of slowly unfolded mm-hmm. so he he got there he they both wanted something similar but they got he got there on the hundredth stroke or something and mm-hmm. you know picasso was like i want to get there on like the first that stroke just, yeah that you know? yeah yeah that just feels so familiar yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and so yeah, so it's interesting, like, thinking about... It's just I'm just thinking out loud, like, yeah, like, how you think about those two artists, like, the name Picasso is uh, assertive in a way that is indicative of the way mm-hmm. he, exp- you know, his character flaw, personality, however you want to call it, like, all that stuff. He's very uh, salient. And and mm-hmm. um, you got to kind of, like, dig into Cezanne, you yeah. know? You have to kind of, like, mm-hmm. go go into that milieu. And he's not standing outside his house telling you to come in you got to kind of like look in the window and see that maybe yeah. the doors burst open or something and mm-hmm. you know you have to kind of dare to walk in his in his home and ronnie same thing I exactly mean, yeah. oh my gosh yeah like and, very slow yeah i mean and just the way just you look at his work and it's like he rearranged the same objects over and over and over again and his is the way he made work really was practice mm-hmm. you know i know the word studio practice gets totally overused and abused but it really feels that way like um you know like a meditative thing or like almost like an act of worship Mm -hmm. um when you look at when you look at his work and think about like what it would have been like to have made it and yeah i mean also like a ratio a ratio of pay like this is a Mm -hmm. bad way of saying it but i feel like it's circling around the conversation it's like Mm -hmm. the ratio like the payoff ratio is smaller the ends are not as significant as the means it seems like with Cezanne so so if if there were a payoff it's in the what you're calling what I think you're kind of getting as like the meditative the the Mm -hmm. um getting into the crack so to speak Mm -hmm. and there there's a kind of um you know somebody might say it's obsessive but you know I might argue that it's a it's a kind of humble care yeah um because there's a humility implicit in it that uh doesn't get you like Cezanne wasn't going to restaurants, I don't think, and signing his name on a napkin and saying to the, you know, the server, like, you can have this or I can pay for my meal, you know, but Picasso did, you know, Picasso is the one that made an artist's signature a significant thing. I mean, like Picasso is like pre-Warhol, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, underst- in understanding the significant self-significance of, mm-hmm. of an artist's name and their brand almost, you know, like. And he branded his name, you know, yeah. his name without a painting would sell, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there's then there's the opposite of that. Um, I feel like Gustin is maybe in there somewhere too. Mm-hmm. I probably will always bring Philip Gustin up, but the three painters were taught those three painters for me are like in my top. They're like in my Mount Rushmore, yeah. I guess. So Mount Rushmore. Yeah, my Mount Rushmore <laughs> of painters. And Kincaid. I mean uh-huh. when you think about <laughs> Kincaid's work and the majesty and re- re- the intense realism. <laughs> Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> the guy makes, uh, fantastic pictures oh. for some amazing jigsaw puzzles. Yes. Oh gosh. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, derail. <laughs> I'm like my own class clown. I'm sorry. I, I end up derailing myself all the time. But, but I, I mean, I say all that other stuff in a serious way because I think that's it. it you, you feel like I feel a kinship with what you're talking about with these artists, but also certainly in your own work. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. I have, when I kind of look back at the people who have been most important to me, um, 
in in my work. I mean, I feel like it just there's just it, there's a speed thing. It mm-hmm. really is a speed thing. Like yeah, there's Suzanne, there's Mirandi, there's Edward Hopper, mm-hmm. there's um, you know Lois Dodd, mm-hmm. um, there's Fairfield Porter. Um, yeah, you know, there's all of all of these people who've been really really important to me, and it's a lot. It's a lot about speed. Huh. Um, I feel like those are the kind of works that you hang out with and um, you sit in front of and you can be with for a while. Yeah. Um, you know that, and it's just like like the attention to surface and mark and. You know, like you can sit in front of them and like you can like feel like you're like present with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and you know, I think about all of that and like that's kind of what I want to get out of my work. You know, that's what I, that's what I want people to experience when they when they see my work. I've had all these significant experiences with with looking, and um, I want my viewers to have that. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that I mean. That kind of gets to a point um, in your artist statement. Your first line says, mm-hmm. I, "I like to think that I make art for introverts." Oh yeah, and I think that's a fantastic line because, like, it just it, it at first it just kind of sits on the page as you see it, and you're, and you start to think, "Well, what does that what does that mean?" But I kind <laughs> of understand it. I yeah. want to make art for somebody who wants to go see art by themselves, mm. without a bu- without a crowd of people around you. Um, I think sometimes when people when there's a lot of people around, people get really drawn to like the big flashy thing. Right. To the big flash. And I've made some flashier things. Um, I've made some pieces that have been um, like monumental. They've been really bright. Um, yeah, you were making but, some huge paintings in grad school, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I've been trying to think about um, about that too. We can kind of talk about like how to make something feel monumental in a completely different way. Yeah. Um, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, like I wanted to make art for somebody who just really is like a lover, you know, who really like loves looking at paintings, um, and you know, who wants to be able to to sit there with it and, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, um, that was really just an idea that just kind of kept like hitting over and over in my head. Uh, oh yeah, like I make art for for introverts. Like, and it was kind of like a funny joke. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, maybe it's not a joke. Maybe I'm telling the truth. Like, I'm like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think that's real, and I think that's okay to say. So, I think there's something lovely about the idea of anticipating a careful looker mm-hmm. um, in the small places, so that yeah. um, you know. Sometimes I. I I just think like, you know, if you catch, mm-hmm. if you catch that person, you, you kind of catch everybody else too, possibly, mm-hmm. possibly, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but gosh, if someone is willing to come by themselves and, and spend time with your work and then you meet them in the most intimate spaces of the work, I think that's a pretty powerful, uh, kind of connection to make. Yeah. Uh, and it's so much yeah. better. Like, um, you know, when I first, when I first moved back to Austin uh, after grad school, I got a studio at this studio complex um, called Pump Project. They recently, um, I don't know, I don't know what's up with their building, but um, they had to move out of their building. That's mm-hmm. a whole different story. Um, but I was there for three and a half, there's to be a three and a half, four years. Great community. Um, yeah, a lot of good memories there. 
but um, we would have, there would be East Austin studio tour, mm. um, big studio tour. All the studio complexes on the east side of Austin would open up and you're like thousands of people come through. Just huge influx of people. And you'd open up your studio and you'd hang out there for the weekends. And you'd have all these people kind of come through and the, some of the experience felt very shallow um, mm -hmm. because you'd have just a huge number of people coming through your studio and kind of asking questions that aren't terribly probing. Um, but occasionally you'd get somebody like come in and like, like really look. And that was so much better than having a ton of people come through. It would be that person either at the very beginning or at some lull in the afternoon um, by themselves that would actually have a conversation with you. That felt so much better. Um, you know, that's, you know, what I, and it, that's what I want when I make work. Like mm -hmm. I would rather have that conversation than have a whole bunch of, wow, you know, mm -hmm. like that was just really exhausting to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm guilty of, um, selectively coming to big openings, you know, and then dipping out and then coming back to see the shows by myself. I mean, I have to kind of, mm -hmm. I just, I'm a easily distracted kind of person too. Oh, so yeah. I need that, I need that quiet space to, if I'm really going to allow myself to, um, you know, if I really want to see something, I've got to come in at a low, oh, low yeah. time. So, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I get charged by that actually. I mean, that's where, that's where I'm like kind of galvanized or mm -hmm. I mean, so much, so much can happen in an encounter with a work. Yeah. Um, and I think that like good work, you kind of have to see a few different times. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I feel like I'll look at something and I don't really like care for something like the first time I see it. Um, but if I keep coming back to it and I completely change my mind about it, then I like it even more because it changed my mind. Like I like mm, having my yeah. mind changed yeah. when I, when I, when I, when I look at work, um, my first job out of undergrad, I worked as a museum guard. So yes, man, that's a very, very boring job. Um, Anonymity. I mean, but yeah. Yeah. Um, there's like lots of working on the crossword puzzle and just staring, staring at, at art. And watching, like, I noticed that the way that my experience of it could change huh. just by, like, going to work every day and being with it. And, like, yeah. Just... Maybe that should be, like, a part of our education for MFAs is you have to work as, like, a museum guard for a semester. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> no. I think it's fantastic. Some of the uh, best conversations I've had at museums have been with some of the guards. Yeah. So I was... Uh... They see things that... Yeah, they're the wicked. Oh, oh the yeah, and they see people in like great ways. Like they see how weird we are. Well, it's uh -huh. just it's funny because uh, uh, a few months ago I went to a museum with a, a painter friend of mine and mm -hmm. his family, and so we've got like four kids between us, and there we're constantly trying to like keep them from destroying fine art. And uh, then the guard comes over because uh, the painter and I are having a conversation, and the guard says, "Oh, have you ever considered uh, in these faces the this, that, and the other?" points out a few things and we were just like um no <laughs> and it was it was really disarming because most of the time like you said Ryan there's this anonymity there yeah but there is much more time for like a contemplative mm -hmm. pause with it because it's built into your work day yeah and I think that's it's honestly I was telling Ryan last night when I went home like several of your paintings were kind of stuck in my head because yeah. I was feeling like I needed to like contemplate everything about them to kind of unpack what they were and it 
it definitely is a show that I'm glad that I get to be in the space a lot to come back to and mm-hmm. see more mm-hmm. um, because I think it requires that yeah. much more than we actually give, I think, a lot of uh, art that time to do. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, so that's a question. I mean, I have so much I want to ask you, so I mean, we'll dance around, I think, probably. But do you think that that means that art is at risk uh, um, in in terms of the way you're talking about making it? Like, do, do you think mm-hmm. that the drift towards expediency and immediacy means that it's harder to make or even have the, like we get to have encounters because we're here in this gallery. I mean, maybe that's why I did it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I just like to look at art. So if we, if we do it ourselves, then we get to see it all the time. Yeah. But you know, um, do you think just thinking out loud, do you think there's a, do you think there's a risk there that we're, we're losing that? Like the say like could Cezanne be Cezanne right now and, and be Cezanne or is uh-huh. that even possible now? Or Because people want something yeah, or that we we've we've created lifestyles that don't allow us to to slow down or yeah. um, observe. You know, my, my I definitely have greater challenges. Like I I am probably on my phone more than I should be. I don't know. I mean, maybe there could be, but then also I think there's a lot of people who kind of crave like the antidote to that. Like mm-hmm. they they're kind of craving the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that. Yeah, our lives are very fast, very immediate. Like there's something very atemporal mm. and um, very, you know, like there's no like specific place, mm-hmm. you know, as we exist now. Um, because you can be anywhere at any time because of the internet. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's, I think that a lot of people kind of, like we have this love. Like, I mean, I definitely spend my fair share of time on the internet. Right. Um, but I think there's also this, just a little bit of like craving for the opposite of that. Mm. So I think, I don't know. I don't want to be a pessimist. I think that there's, um, I mean, I think that maybe there's a craving, craving for that. And, um, yeah, I mean, that is kind of, kind of one thing you hear people talk about, like, you know, like the way that we look at and consume art so much, like particularly pe- people who live outside of like major art centers, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, like you have like, you know, Instagram right? and you have these other platforms, which are amazing, um, for just letting you see what people are doing all over the world. Um, but yeah, I mean, what gets seen, what gets you know, it's, it's stuff that's like made to be consumed in images. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, maybe also a part of, part of my interests and aesthetic, um, are going towards making things that maybe, you know, I wouldn't say like that aren't friendly to that, but maybe are more interesting in person. Yeah. I, I like I, so. I have like a, I have like these rules. I think every artist has rules, right? Like mm-hmm. you have rules for how you make your work rules that are just, you know, things that help you generate what you do. Um, and one of my rules is that if my painting looks better in a photograph than it does in real life, then I've really screwed up. Mm. Like, you know, I mean, I feel like that's one thing about painting is that it's a singular, a singular object, um, you know, unlike a print, like a print, like is it, it's about multiple sets, a completely different conversation. 
um, you know, it's a singular object and I kind of wanted to have like a like singular experience mm-hmm. and I think it, you know, you need to be there with it. And, um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I did that, that idea is kind of a little bit at odds, mm-hmm. you know, with the way that we, the way our visual culture works now. Right. But I also think like, yeah, there are people who are really just kind of craving and wanting something different something to kind of offset that mm-hmm. so i don't know i think yeah. that you know maybe there could saison could be saison yeah maybe perhaps. i mean yeah. yeah i think sometimes you could even look at it in terms of uh appetites right mm-hmm. so if we think of it in terms of food say take a friend to a new restaurant and they're like i don't know about this and it's like well you haven't tried it yet mm-hmm. right? and so it may be some of that where you know, the, the, the main kind of like uh, feeding of appetites currently is just this immediate, immediate, uh, over and over and over again, quick view mm-hmm. of things. And so when people come in contact with an artist like you, it, it might be something that they've never really known they had the appetite for mm-hmm. because it hasn't been exposed to him as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think maybe it's some of that where Cezanne could be Cezanne, but it might just take a little bit more work for other people to appreciate him as such. Yeah. 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 It's like appetite and then acquired, acquired taste right. kind of, yeah. uh, tun- tuning in someone to, you know, a particular sensibility. I also think though, um, Oh, this is, this one's tricky. Some of what you're talking about has implications for others. So the way you're talking, you have in a way that I find refreshing is you have not talked. And now you may feel this way. And so it's not to say that you're not free to or that I think mm-hmm. it's. But what I find refreshing is that there's an otherness in the way that you talk about making paintings. So what I mean by that is like there's a, a, a it seems like a sincere thoughtfulness for uh, those that would come upon your work. So mm-hmm. a shared kind of admiration or love or, or experience that occurs. And so as you're making, there's a kind of a gift giftness implicit in the work that is going to be given or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and a lot of times, so part of that to me ideologically says that there are things that entail shared reality. Um, and that, that means you have to make us, you have to make an assumption that there is a reality to share in. Uh-huh. And I find that sometimes that's not how folks are thinking about things. So not thinking about shared reality, just thinking about their reality huh. and their uh, there, and I'm not critiquing this, but I'm just thinking out. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm critiquing indirectly. And I, I think it's because I'm thinking about it out loud, but, um, there is a difference in, in, uh, sometimes the way something comes across when you're, you're thinking merely or directly about self-expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, versus expressivity, uh, and, or possibly the, the ends of another, who, who maybe you don't know, but you're anticipating in some kind of way. Yeah. Um, and I guess I just, I think that that's like uh, refreshing. Uh, that, that like, so like the statement, I make art <laughs> for introverts. Uh-huh. It's like, it really is like. Oh, there's more like, of us out there. It's yeah, I know. It's a really, it's like a, it's a really, it is a really fantastic statement. It's like, that could be the art statement. Yeah. And you right. can, if you're willing, yeah. you can unpack and that in a great my, way. My goal when writing an artist statement is to make it as like, is to just cut as much as possible out of there. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't need that word. Or, oh gosh, let's get rid of that. Yeah. Or let's make that sentence much shorter. 
Yeah. I mean, any anytime I write something like that, I just gotta get rid of stuff. I wish I was, I I have to like vomit out a word mountain and then just yeah. like jackhammer away at it and then talk to Laura, my wife, mm. and like help me <laughs> fix this. Yeah. <laughs> Save me. Yeah. Yeah. Like just gotta just cut, cut, cut. I mean, I do that with my paintings too. Like yeah. I, I just don't want a lot of stuff in there. Um, I think right. that's why I paint like very singular objects. It's like I just ha- I don't know. It's just maybe it's just, it could be just a total aesthetic. That yeah. Well, talk about talk yeah. about surface. I mean, titles are tricky, but I do think it's a very relevant title yeah. to the work. Do you talk mm-hmm. about sur- sur- surface space as yeah. together? Because mm-hmm. I think that, that that leads into some interesting. Yeah. stuff pertaining to the show sure um when i was coming up with titles like i'm hate naming things like i always kind of get anxiety about naming things because i don't want it i always like to leave space for um for the viewer to kind of make their own discoveries when they look at work um so you know i feel like sometimes i think a title is like there's there's too much to it um, or it's too leading that I feel like you've kind of like given that all up. So I get all this anxiety when I'm naming things. So I wanted to keep my keep the title just very, um, very simple. Um, and I was thinking about um, what are some of the biggest things that I'm dealing with in this work, and it's like both surface and space. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds. Yeah, very basic, but um, like a lot of like the the wall paintings, like like looking at the the surface quality of them, um, looking at um, the different the way that aging and weathering would um, impact upon them, um, and then thinking about like like space, like some of the some of the corner paintings, like that that creation of intimate space, but then also thinking about like the the way that space changes um the way that you see a work of art mm-hmm. um like some of the little paintings um they're made like i was questioning like how do i make something feel like it's all of a certain size like these large freeway walls um because i feel like if you don't make it the size of the thing you run the risk of it just feeling diminutive or like just like a little picture window um and by you're talking about so so for those that don't know mm -hmm. what what walls are we talking about so i made these a series of paintings of these different freeway they're mostly freeway walls some of them are 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 are, um different types of walls most of them most of them are freeway walls found from that i collected from the um i-35 corridor between austin and san antonio Mm. mostly Mm -hmm. um so i was thinking about like how do i how do i make these things like how do i how do i translate these to paint and a part of that became like okay um i can activate that um with with space like making them small paintings but as you see them from a distance um you know they begin to feel grander Mm -hmm. you know like when something is farther away from you it's smaller so seen from a distance like it has a little bit more grand grandiosity sure so um anyway so questions of like surface like how do i 
how do I communicate surface through, through, through paint or um, like the role of space in the paintings? Um, and then like, um, like, yeah, even like the walls, like they're very, like, even like a wall is like a, a stop, right? Mm-hmm. Like it says, don't go past this barrier. Um, like that's what they're for. Right. And, you know, like it is like, yeah, I don't want you coming through here. And, you know, like that's what they're for. Um, but even like the idea of maybe even creating space on a, on just a flat surface, like through, um, through just painterliness, like mm-hmm. layers of color, texture. So like there, there is like this 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 flatness of the surface, but there's also maybe some like space behind it in some mm-hmm. way. Um, like I was noticing that as I was making the paintings. So these were just these two words just kind of kept coming up in everything I was doing and mm-hmm. thinking about, and it was just enough. Um, to not just like give feel like I was just giving everything away or I was leading the view the viewer too much into my own headspace that when they were looking at the work they couldn't get into their own headspace mm, that's interesting um, yeah yeah what makes me uh, intrigued is that you were noticing these walls while driving yeah <laughs> oh yeah and <laughs> I, I, I know that's really bad um, but you know some of them like you know like one that I kept going back to um, was this wall, like at the exit um, for our house. So um, it wasn't; all, they weren't all just taken. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. while while I was like pressing, you know, the accelerator, you know, yeah. there was like some stop. And sometimes you're in the the passenger seat. Yeah, I like, you're like honest, you're like a wall stalker. I'll be yeah. honest; a few of them were taken. Um, a few of them were taken while driving. I shouldn't. That's terrible. Police, like, the like really... highway patrol in, I know. In, uh, in that corridor need to not know, yeah. know this episode, so we'll make sure. We anyway, it's happened a couple of times and... if it's just, like, particularly, you know, anyway. Yeah, no, that, uh, I had, I had some, mm-hmm. I had a thought jot mm-hmm. down that I, so I guess, I guess I was thinking about the, the idea of seeing, like, the idea that you can only see something out of your peripheral vision. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way you can really see it. Mm-hmm. And I guess I just, I, I just, you know, in talking with you leading into the show, mm-hmm. I, I just kept imagining myself in a, like, like reading your statement and thinking about corridor and driving mm-hmm. and how many things I noticed that I can't afford to look at directly. Yeah. So I've acquired an ability to appreciate indirectly out of the side of my eye, uh-huh. so to speak. Uh-huh. And so um, then I started to think about the implications of that. You know, this may be relevant at all, but I started to think about the implications of that with your paintings because the paintings you look at directly. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where to go from there, but that was just this idea of indirect looking and moving through a space indirectly uh, versus direct looking and, and how maybe indirect looking uh, at an exhibition can have as much to give as the direct engagement with the painting. Um, and I was curious, you know, so leading into the mm-hmm. show, I was curious to see like how that interaction between those two points of reference might play themselves out. But, you know, this is a lot of extrapolating out of, out of talking with you and reading your, your, uh, statement and thinking about how the work was collected, which I also love too, mm-hmm. that you were collecting walls. Like, yeah, you know. I, I've always, whenever I, I've always collected, but, mm-hmm. um, as you can tell, I'm not a fan of clutter. Like right. that's probably something that it's pretty easy to, to infer. 
Um, so I find like collecting things via digital means right. is a lot more of my beat. Yeah. So takes up know. no space. Yeah. It's a hard drive. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, like indirect looking. I mean, I think that kind of comes into play when you're thinking about how you arrange the gallery space. Mm -hmm. And like, even when I'm making like a painting, which is like seen as just like a flat thing. Um, a lot of times I am thinking about how I would like it to be exhibited. Like how we would like for it to live and to be. And, um, I think indirect looking, um, comes into play when you're thinking about curation. Mm -hmm. um, like, um, you know, like the, the long, that kind of long, narrow hallway mm -hmm. gallery space where I put lots of those small wall paintings. Um, thinking about like the act of walking down the hallway, mm -hmm. like walking down that hallway and having them kind of drone past you yeah. in the same way that you know when one's driving and you're approaching the objects in like their more natural sense mm -hmm. um, the way that they feel like they kind of drone past you yeah um, but you could you know you know when you're looking at them in an art exhibition you can always stop and pause and right. encounter them directly um, as well as um, some of the sight lines of the show that you you know as we were setting up and I'm thinking about um, all the different angles you could see a piece from. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I like the idea that that's something that you can, as like an observer, you can bring something that you've carefully observed into greater light for others to see mm -hmm. um, uh, without having to be there, if you will, because the there is in the galleries and the work now. Like you yeah. process something, you've you're bringing something distinct to it. So I know you, you said no, no originality, but maybe in the, in the personal particular sense, we talk about this with like Nikki's work a little bit, but that personal particular uh, vision, so to speak, um, brings things together in a unique, unique way mm -hmm. um, as it relates to where you were mining, you know, where you were having your encounters. And um, so I don't have to go to Texas to have the experience if you will, because I, I couldn't anyways, it's your, it's, it's in your headspace, it's mm -hmm. in your eye space, yeah. but you are processing something and bringing it to us. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that the way that process moves us, moves from th those points to the point that we're at in a gallery is, um, is interesting to think about in terms of the direct and indirect engagement, I guess. Yeah. Um, there's, there's lots of, of, of processing. I like, I like, I kept hearing you say that word. I'm like, yeah, there's lots of, lots of processing, like, um, even though these are representational work and they're pretty clearly representational mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And, um, though some of the, some of the paintings might not appear that way at first glance, like yeah, some, the of the shape, some of the shaped ones, ones yeah. Yeah, yeah. um, but they, but they are, um, there, there is like, like this kind of like processing of it, um, that isn't exactly always, you know, just trying to make it, um, completely as an exact like repli replica replication of the thing. Mm -hmm. Like there is um, uh, maybe some filtering, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, like the, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's, it, it, it is representational, but then it's also, prop, you know, kind of filtered through experience. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe that's, that is also kind of where it gets to be, gets to be kind of personal. Right. Um, I mean, one that I think 
is is one of the more moving paintings in the show. It's in the hallway, and um, I mean, it really takes me somewhere personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked, you told a great story about it. It's, uh-huh. it's a deep blue. Oh God, that one, yeah. <laughs> I okay. mean, I, I got teary eyed. Oh I knew there was something about uh-huh. the painting before, and then uh-huh. and then you told me the story, and like okay. the, the heavens opened up to me, and I. Um, I haven't been able to. I couldn't sleep after hearing about this. So, okay, would you, would you talk about that painting? Okay, so this, is, this is perfect for. It's, yeah. it's one of my one of the the little wall paintings, and it's one of the few that isn't a freeway painting, um, but it's found. Um, it was a wall that I found in the drive-through Taco Bell. Say wait, say that again. It's a wall that I found in the. I found oh, as I was so going good. to the drive-through Taco Bell. Oh, Taco um, Bell! There it is. So. Yeah, yes, I know. Um, for those of y'all who don't know, Ryan's a Taco Bell aficionado. Yeah, He's I'm a lifelong, big, big huge fan. fan. I be, I always um, say if you cut me open, I bleed beans from the bean and cheese burritos. I I don't not even know fire how many. Sauce? No, I I, <laughs> I you know I, I like them. I love the flavor of the mild sauce, and so like okay. if you cut me open, there's mild sauce coming out too. But um, <laughs> so this is like a dream. I was like, I don't even know if there's anything else I could do in life now. Is, yeah. is that this has happened in this yeah. space pretty <laughs> pretty much a dream come true all i had to do is put that in there um yeah. and i i wasn't i i wasn't thinking about you when i made the painting it yeah. wasn't until afterwards i'm like oh yeah ryan likes taco bell um yeah. but no i mean like sometimes like when i'm before i before <laughs> before i make a painting of of something it's usually because i've encountered it so many times like uh-huh. i've encountered it a, f- a few different times that it gets stuck in my head. Like I thought it was interesting how Garrett was saying that um, some of the, like some of the paintings got stuck in your head and that's how they start. Like I'll see something that gets stuck in my head um, and kind of that, that repeating, repeating, repeating. And then I'm like, well, there's something, yeah, something's happening here. Mm. Um, but yeah, that box and the, the drive-through of the Taco Bell. And what did you eat again? Just just so huh. we. Well, it was there was a bean burrito. So yes. okay, so the story about me at Taco Bell starts with pregnancy. Okay. Uh, my second pregnancy, where I was just sick months, 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 months. Um, it was rough, and it came to me in a vision. Yes, this is so good. That what I could eat and digest in that moment was bean burrito from Taco Bell. I could eat a bean burrito from Taco Bell and I think that I could be okay. You know, when you haven't had like a real meal in like, I don't know, a few months um, and it go okay, um, just knowing like, oh yeah, I could eat this and be okay. So anyway, and the baby's like, she's 15 months old as of Wednesday. Um, And I'm still, you know, going through the drive-thru every once in a while. But anyway, especially when I was when I was pregnant with her, at first I tried to like hide it from Alec because I was kind of a little bit ashamed. Um, Alec is my husband. I a lot to, of people, I tried to hide. a lot of people yeah. suffer suffer from Taco Bell shame, and I'm yeah. just part of the goal of this podcast is to help people feel freer. Yeah, just kind of like be honest. Yeah, just be honest about it. Yeah. It's okay. So we know it's not real food, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I told I think I told my son who was he was like not even I guess. Early in my pregnancy was before he was two. It's like, you know, don't say anything to dad. (laughs) 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 But anyway, so after going through the drive-thru a few times and seeing this, this, you know, this wall so many times, it's like, oh, yeah, 
there's something there. Like there's something there. And it got collected. You spiritualized that place. I can't even, I've never uh-huh. even done that. You, you had the it wasn't. Moment. It wasn't. It, it's not like the place that I spiritualized. It was just the knowing the ability that I could like be like not sick for yeah. a few hours. Some healing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it could so be. Good. It could be anything. It's I mean, so good. for anybody, for anybody listening who's ever like had really horrific morning sickness, you know what it's like. Like you yeah. know, it's like oh, you just get to a place after being sick for so long that you just. I mean, don't want to be sick. You, you're. I. This is. Uh, we'll we'll let Taco Bell die here, but for now, okay. till the next episode. But, um, I mean, just just so you know that my mom, that's all she could eat. I said yeah, just yesterday, but for those mm-hmm. who don't know, that's all she could eat when she was pregnant with me. That's the only thing was bean burritos yeah. with mild sauce and no onions. And so then that was like in 1974, 75. I was born in 75, and then this is back when Taco Bell was real food. And you just walked up and they had people that made the food Uh and some places were better than others in California. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm 43 now and, uh, I've never been able to stop eating it. Like the only thing that helps me is Laura gets sick on it sometimes. And so we have to weigh the cost, you know, the uh, the cost of doing me sick or not. But, um, I had one, a burrito like three days ago and, and I was like, this is, or it was a week ago. And this is, it was like nostalgic. I mean, I was like five again. Yeah. So, I, you know, I mean, so your, your child that, that you have a painting commemorating the moment. Um, this could be a lifelong thing. <laughs> so I'm just letting you know that the power of experience. I yeah. think Catherine will be okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got any thoughts, Gary? You got, you got a way to save us from my... Yeah, I think, I mean, I think yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is a good time to just kind of change streams and tell yeah, right? let's do it. Um, so uh, part of um, what you do in terms of your practice mm-hmm. is you're a professor yes. and you teach yeah. um, art. So um, I think there's an interesting conversation around the different ways in which art and design become integrated within teaching practices at different spots. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to just kind of uh, pick your brain a little bit about how you see that interaction or integration of art and design happening within the specific curriculum you're a part of. Sure. Um yeah, so um, I teach at Texas State University. I've been there. This is my ninth year there. Um, and um, it's an interesting mm-hmm. interesting department, the School of Art and Design is there, um, because it is um, pretty well integrated. Um, um, so, yeah, about 50% or more of the um, students in the School of Art and Design are communication design students. And they all take um, the same foundations courses along with studio and art education um, all together, which I guess isn't too terribly different. Like that's kind of the whole Bauhaus ideal, right? Um, It's kind of been going on for a while. But I think it is unique in just how many many, um, communication design students that we have and how many end up double majoring um, in art studio. So you have a lot of that overlap and even studio art students, how um, many relationships and things that they have um, with those in design fields. And um, yeah, there's a lot of cross pollination that happens. Um, yeah. So. Is it is it more, do you feel like there's a, cause I, I mean, you know, we, only, we only want to talk in positive mm-hmm. terms, but mm-hmm. you, you feel like there's um is it is it an emphasis on hybridity? Do you think where where the distinct zones or categories, if you will, mm-hmm. are being um, diminished for some 
middle ground occurrence or is it, is there a real strong upholding of the distinctness of the categories? I mean, I think there's a definitely a, a definitely distinctness um, because by the time you you know get into your more into your major, mm-hmm. um, students really are focusing on their um, yeah you know on their major, um, but you know they do have this experience. Um, you know, with, with this interaction there and the fact that just, there's so many, so many students who kind of cross paths or, you know, mm-hmm. double major, there is just a, a lot of that, um, that back and forth. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's like, you know, hybrid to the point that they've lost identity. I don't right. think it's, but there is just a lot of intermingling, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, just people wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're so in, in I mean we can keep bouncing around. You you have any follow-ups for that? No, just one. Yeah. We uh so the thing about education, I'm like going back to that question, like that teacher that told you 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 know you're a painter. Uh-huh. You're in that situation now in a way, yeah. right? Where you ever find yourself in conflict because you feel like you need to give someone that? Like how do you how do you reconcile that with some of your own thoughts and mm-hmm. history as a painter? Uh mm-hmm helping to cultivate or bring along other people that are interested in the same things. I mean, I kind of feel like that's why you end up teaching to an extent Mm -hmm. because I think the people who end up teaching in one capacity or another, it's because they've had a significant experience in one place of their life, like with a teacher. Um, you know, like some people that's in elementary school or that's different streams of their life or they, they were going through a confusing time and, something became clear so they maybe have an affinity for people at a certain stage of their life and I feel like that's the case for me as far as like my undergraduate experience um I feel like um a lot of things a lot of change happened went through a lot of I mean I guess as everybody does when they kind of become a young adult um so I found I found my way into teaching because I just have a lot of affection, a genuine affection, um, for people trying to figure out who it means to be them and what it means to be an adult and mm-hmm. what it means to be an, an artist specifically. Um, you know, I kind of got the feeling when I was younger that a lot of times people would kind of forget that maybe or take for granted that maybe you don't know what it means to be an artist Mm -hmm. or um like they either forgot or maybe they just never had that experience of not knowing so like teaching for me is being really rewarding in the sense that I feel like I can approach students who are in a similar way in a way that's non-judgmental and to give them that um in the way that I really wanted that um you know I think yeah, just so that they can, so that they can kind of be be open and vulnerable um, to try. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a large um, one thing that's cool about the school I teach at. We have a very large percentage of like first generation college students, okay. and I think that's fabulous. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think that's amazing because that's like that's where um, where you open up new voices. Right. Um, you know, like if everybody in the arts comes from families who grew up going to the museum and from the same type of thing over and over again 
Um, it gets really stale um, because you're just, you know, this is the same thing. Right. You know, so, um, yeah. But I think, too, like maybe when you grow, maybe somebody grows up without, you know, some of those benefits of just exposure, you know, to the arts or um, exposure to even like what it means to like pursue higher education. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I could see how there could be like a certain amount of like embarrassment or shame that might happen or mm-hmm. just confusion or just feeling like you're not safe to ask certain questions. And um, one of my goals as a teacher, to some extent, is to um, is to kind of like I want to feel like I want to feel like when students are with me that they kind of can take that away, like they don't have to have that with me. Right. Like that would be like a nightmare situation for me to feel like my students didn't feel like they were safe to just be. I don't know what it means to you know. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. like I want them like to be, you know. And I feel like that's one of the cool things we 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 are a lot of us on the faculty or um, our goals are is to you know to bring new voices in. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I mean, I think so. My experience sometimes, I mean, I think definitely the same thing. But then mm-hmm. there's also the opposite, which is sometimes the person is too quick to assume that what they what an artist is, mm-hmm. and they've they've enlarged the benefit, but they've narrowed the the understanding and so they're they're mm-hmm. deficient but they've got a high view of their deficient their deficient point of view and okay. so it makes it really hard to help them see that there's more they need or yes. there's new like you know there's uh-huh. new experience they have sure. to obtain and you got to fail at some of it you got to take some risks you got to you got to render yourself vulnerable mm-hmm. and which means maybe laying down some of that identity that you have yeah, so yeah. highly highly upheld for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that's a conversation that, um, I mean, I think whatever the conversation is and however one can help uh, each other, that that's the one to have, but that's the one that I find uh, plenty of times. Mm-hmm. And then that creates that creates this shadow that the, the kinds of person where well, they don't know, and it makes them less uh, open to sharing. Like, I actually, I need to ask real questions that mm-hmm. sound dumb in my mind or, and, yeah, you know, I need to be safe to do this. I need to be safe to, mm-hmm. to raise these kinds of questions. Um, and so, yeah, I find that it's more uh, oftentimes I find that to be the case. Um, but it's really interesting to hear the what was the percentage you said of first generation? 50 percent. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of like a ballpark. Yeah, but it just yeah, seems, yeah. It seems like there's a, a higher, higher amount. Yeah. Um, like really I exciting. went. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. seemed like most of my experiences as a student um like, I mean, one thing personal about me is that um, my dad's side of the family, like lots of educated people. Okay. My dad has a college degree. Both of his parents had advanced degrees. Um, however, my mom's side of the family, who I've grown up with most, who I, like she has lots of siblings and such. Um, my mom was the first person in our family to graduate high school. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... So it's a totally different way. So I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I have like an in-between space. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I have, I feel like there's like empathy for, for both sides. Like I, you know, I yeah. don't know. Like being in the middle is like a huge thing for me. Middle child, middle of this, middle of that. Like I yeah. always feel like I'm in the middle. But it, Middle of Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Middle <laughs> of Texas. Yeah. So like I have, you know, I feel like I have a lot of empathy for both sides and I kind of see see both experiences but mo- most of my experience as a st- as a student was it or 
in um, more in institutions where I felt like I was in some way deficient. Mm. Like, I'll be really honest. Um, like, I felt like I wasn't... Yeah, I mean, like, like that sounds sounds kind of really, like, like self-deprecating, but um, I felt like in a lot of ways, like, um, other people, like, in, in, when I was an undergraduate, like, grew up in, like, either just, like, more elite households or something. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, grew up, you know, like, particularly, like, the students who, who came from, like, the Houston suburbs, like mm-hmm. they have, you know, access to so much more and it's different. Like I grew up in North Texas, which is, you know, in the, in Fort Worth, which, yeah, I mean, I had access to like lots of great museums and such, but it's just not to the scale that, um, some of the kids who grew up in Houston were and some of like the, the quality of some of those schools in the Houston suburbs, like big deal, mm-hmm. you know, and having friends, um, you know, having friends who were just really smart and um it's funny like i remember my i remember like my very first day as an undergrad um in my 3d design class um i remember the instructor she asked us to i think it was kind of to put us in her place a little bit and like gently she asked us like okay raise your hand if you were the best artist in your high school and almost everybody but me raised their hands and i didn't raise my hand uh-huh. <laughs> like i don't think that was me yeah no, yeah, no. yeah yeah um but yeah, I think I always kind of felt a little bit like, you know, like that whole like, why am I here? Yeah. But as I get older, I realize everybody feels that way. Like that's just like my way of internalizing it. Um, yeah. I don't. I think there's very few people who actually feel, who actually feel like they aren't that way. Yeah. But you know, and then you know, it comes like to VCU, and like you're you're told so often like how how you know like what a great school it is and you're so well aware like what a great school and you're kind of in awe and so anyway so basically I just have a lot of empathy for people who have that same feeling yeah like like whoa like how am I here so you know I remember all the ways that I feel and then I feel like I want to give that to my to my students like oh no you belong here and here's what you can do and right you know um I want to help them along the way because sometimes I feel like people don't show the best versions of themselves uh-huh. when they when they feel like maybe they don't belong. And sometimes if you can help people feel like they belong, they can show you this really great version of who they are. Yeah, I think that's a good insight. Definitely yeah. is. Yeah, that's a great insight. Yeah. Yeah, I'm taking that one, stuffing it away just as an instructor. Like, mm-hmm. is a good direct thought on my students is like get helping them. Cause I definitely want the same mm-hmm. things, you know, want the same, you want the space. I always tell them like, you know, I, I'm in, I'm, I teach full time and I'm on admission. So mm-hmm. I always tell them like, you know, like I've seen your portfolios. I know how hard it was to get here. Mm-hmm. I know what it took. And you have this like monumental affirmation. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you belong here. You're welcome here. Um, yes. You know, yeah. without question. Um, and I stress that so hard, but I think your insight into like, how people don't always show the best of where they're at, like getting them to feel like they can uh-huh. so that you can actually equip them or give them yeah. or share with them or come mm-hmm. alongside them, whatever you want to say, point them in the direction they're, they're trying to go. You know, um, I, I had instructors, um, I'll probably mention every now and then, but I had a professor, Linda Day, who was like a huge mentor to me. 
she was just awesome from Brooklyn painter. She's like smoking class. Yeah. <laughs> she was she did like she's scratching her head. I mean, she was incredible painter though. Super intelligent and did not play around. And and so I had I was scared of her, then I respected her, and then I realized I could work with her and she was just amazing and I wouldn't mm-hmm. be here without her. Um, she passed away some years ago. But um, one of the things that struck me the most is I had started to develop questions about what I was doing. And she, she, she had the humility plus this like great capacity. So she, and I, and I saw it in a sense that she was like, I don't think I could help you with this, but I know mm-hmm. somebody I think can. Yeah. I remember being so taken by that. I remember being like, that's an incredible, like, I remember being like, I feel like I could trust you more now than ever yes. because you're really willing to concede uh-huh. in an area where you might, I really believe that she would be able to speak to uh, the particular she's in a uh-huh. great way. And she was just like, and so she, she pushed me into the community in a deeper way, which meant she knew something, the whole know and be known. She knew mm-hmm. something about uh, her colleagues that you couldn't just know at a glance, like, you know, mm-hmm. at a cursory level, let's say. So um, I remember just the, the power of that, like in, her exhibiting that kind of uh, vulnerability yeah. and strength um, just was like a seminal thing. I remember we were sitting on like a, a little block wall in Sacramento, at CSU Sacramento. And so I can still see the whole, I can see her, I can see the situation. Small, it sounds small, but it was big. Because I hadn't mm-hmm. seen that before. I had encountered that with professors before. They yeah. were kind of under themselves, all-encompassing kinds of people, you know. Um, so, yeah, you got a thought? Or... Yeah, I was just thinking, <clears> I mean, the best... The best professors I ever had um, throughout school, I, I feel like we're we're more conduit than like destination, you know. So mm-hmm. you had you had professors that that enabled, that encouraged, that uh, almost acted like uh, bumpers at the bowling alley, mm-hmm. right? So you can't go too far afield one way or the other, kind of saying like, uh, "Oh, hey, I don't, you're not asking a lot of questions in class. Are there questions you have?" Or at the same time being like, uh, maybe you shouldn't be asking so many questions. Maybe you should be doing more things. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that was always kind of the better lane. And those are the things I think I try to emulate in my classroom, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. of how can you be extremely active within a space, um, but draw back enough where the real activity takes place with the students mm-hmm. amongst themselves. Um, and it's a, it's a hard thing to do. But I find them to be the most rewarding experiences in the classroom when the students get to a place where they're like, hey, you taught me this. And I was like, I think you kind of learned that. I don't know mm-hmm. how actively I was teaching you that as much as I just helped create an environment where you could learn that. Yeah. 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 I think that's there. I mean, I think a lot mm-hmm. of our learning is passive mm-hmm. and indirect. And then it's when someone asks you a question that you realize, like if I said, like, how, you know, a lot of things we just kind of catch, you know, like your mm-hmm. kids are watching you and they're catching all kinds of stuff. And then they just kind of assume it. And then you come to college and then you're questioned. You're like, I don't know why I think that. And then you mm-hmm. got to kind of unpack it, you know? And I think like, even like as an artist, you know, someone starts to ask questions and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got to, I got to kind of like locate myself yeah. and my work. And like, wait, why do I do that? You know, I've been doing it intuitively and that's a valuable knowledge. Like it's yeah. a valuable way of understanding things, but you know, um, yeah. Man, I've learned so much teaching. Like I feel like it's, like I've just learned a, t- a ton yeah. just about my own practice just just through teaching like it's a, and that's one thing that I kind of try to do a little bit in class is like find opportunities 
for students to also be teachers yeah because i, I feel like it's such an 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 amazing way to learn um yeah, I have an assignment where I have the students. They have to, they have to go, they have to find someone on Thanksgiving and oftentimes spring break, minus this one for some issues. But um, and they have to, they have to find someone who doesn't draw. It doesn't have like it could be a parent, a sibling, mm-hmm. and they have to assign them three projects that develop an understanding based on what they've been learning in the class. Oh wow! And, and so they do that, and I've actually had parents that have ended up going to art school out of that assignment. That's amazing. Or parents that were better on their first drawing than the students in our school were to the surprise of the student and the parent. And then other ones where, yeah, other ones where parents are like cursing them out, cursing their kids out, like, this is dumb. I'm not. And then the students come back and they're like, I really appreciate what you do now. (laughs) Cause my mom would not sit still. She wouldn't listen. You know, like she would sit still and listen. (laughs) She said, this is dumb. (laughs) Or, you know, and also, also like, I mean, even like, so, so parents or siblings or Mm -hmm. significant others, whatever, uh, uh, actually having a deeper appreciation just by virtue of going through the process of going, yeah. oh gosh, like this isn't like kindergarten romper room, have fun, you know, craft time, no. like in the way that we think about it with five-year-olds, like there's like, yeah. this is work. So the yeah, work yeah. part is, is stress to them. They're like, yeah, I, I, I see that you're actually doing something in college right now. Man, I absolutely love that. I want to do that. I'm going to take that idea. Yeah. 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 It's, it's worked out really yeah. well. And they that have to put like, the curriculum together and like, cause I, I believe in the uh-huh. same, same exact thing that you're saying. Like, yeah. I mean, you know. I was thinking about it more just as far as, you know, like, like the way that I like put together like a critique or right. that type of thing. Um, and making sure, you know, just, I have like lots of different formats that I use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just getting students in the place where they're, um, you know, like I have to have some more skin in the game. Like I, the, the longer I, the longer I do this, the more I realize that I'm not like, like I'm less important in a way. Right. Yeah. Like that sounds like kind of basic, but, um, but I feel like what I do feels less important so much as I'm just trying to figure out how to like make the environment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I'm trying to like, like curate. Yep. More so than, than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah I think yeah. when you first start teaching, you feel, you you kind of come in feeling like you have to just give, give, give. Mm-hmm. Um, and you feel like you you have this pressure to, to to lead, lead, lead. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, leadership looks different after a while. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah I'm- like 12 years in and I'm mm-hmm. like, it's a very different feel. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know your place. Mm-hmm. You're deeper into the race. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not running on adrenaline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think once you have a few students who surpass you mm-hmm. in a way, yes. at first it's like, whoa. And then after a while, it that's like not important at all. Mm-hmm. It just, you know. Yeah. It's actually, it becomes a, jo- a joy or a delight. Because mm-hmm. um, if it was, a, if I was uh worried about that too much i'd be decimated because i yeah, see exactly. so many talented people come sure, out of my yeah. class or come into my i'm on admission so i see people i'm like this person is so good uh mm-hmm. <laughs> what i don't i don't know i always go back to that andy mm-hmm. warhol I was saying this yesterday to you like yeah the, the john michelle have you seen that movie it's called basquiat with uh yeah. julian schnabel david yeah. bowie and he's like i don't think i could teach you anything you're really good <laughs> it's like that's like my that's like my comfort 
my David Bowie Warhol comfort statement to myself yeah. is like, you're really, you're like a real painter. You mm-hmm. know, like, <laughs> and I have like David Bowie's playing Warhol in my mind. It's like, yeah, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, um, but there, I mean, there is, there's just like, but there's always things to offer. Like nobody, you know, the mutuality, like we, we actually do need each other. Yes. And, and we draw things out of each other. You mm-hmm. know, the idea that you can exhaust yourself through self-expression is just not plausible. Like I've, I've often used the example, a friend of mine, John, who, not to be depressed, but he passed away in like 2013, but nobody made me laugh like him and nobody has like, um, which is to say something that was distinct in him could distinctly draw something out of me that I otherwise am not able to manifest for myself. And so mm-hmm. there are the things that I manifest for myself, so to speak, but there's the mutual way in which we enhance and draw things out of each other. And I think that's a strong argument for distinctness, for, and for unity or diversity, unity or community yeah. and agency. And so you get in the classroom, even with talented people where you feel like you, they know more than what you can give. And it, it still is not true. It's just, how do you, how do you, how do you help that person? How do you create the environment that's conducive, you know? Um, yeah. 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 I mean, it's funny, like I've had experiences where I've had like really talented students come into the class and they approach it in different ways. Like I'm sure y'all have had this before. Like you have the really, t- really talented student who comes into the class and feels like they're too good for the class. Mm-hmm. And they end up yeah. not really getting much out of it and they stagnate. Um, and sometimes they, you know, like they completely just disappear. Um, like that's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other times you get like the really talented student who comes into your class and they are really engaged in like helping their peers and their peers who were kind of not to their level start doing more because like they have like this aspirational figure in the room who's open to them and then they end up doing a lot better they feel like yeah i mean they they get engaged in the community and that makes them want to stay in the art community Mm -hmm. um and they end up doing doing better because they're you know they don't necessarily feel like they're too good (laughs) too good to be in there and i don't know i don't know i just got to Sometimes you just have to figure out how to, you know, sometimes you try to try to help, help, help the student who feels like they're like, you know, beyond whatever it is you're doing. Um, and sometimes you can kind of like bring them along and then other times it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't know. That is one of those, those things about teaching. Like I always say you can like lead a horse to water, but you can't drown him in the lake. Yeah. <laughs> like I can try to try to bring you in, but if you don't want to, yeah, you just yeah, have to. Idea can't force anybody that's right right that is so true it's shifting gears a little bit but maybe it's like a a bigger scaled version of the classroom Mm -hmm. and just in terms of like creating conducive conditions but what's up with texas texas is pretty awesome art like i i my my quick encounter with texas was like i became friends with mark flood for a time yeah okay and and i like own one of his pieces like the first lace piece he ever made oh that's cool yeah like he stumbled upon it and mm-hmm. it's like 16 by 20 inches and yeah. it's like a cherished thing, but it's where he stumbled upon the lace work that now is like the thing yes. that Mark Flood is. I mean, he was doing wild stuff long before that, but, and so he had tried to get me to come to Houston before I came mm-hmm. to VCU and it was yes. like a consideration. And so that was like my, fr- I was like, I, I don't think I knew, I just didn't know. He, he tried to tell me like, there's like amazing things happening in Texas, but I didn't have any other reference point. Uh-huh. But now you know, I'm yes. 12 or 13 years later, 14, 15 years later. And I'm like, dude, like there is like 
what's going on in Texas? Like, what's up with like the art scene there? It's like, seems pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we have several big cities yeah. and I think that, well, there's always that. Like we have, you know, there's Houston is like the fourth largest art city in America. Yeah. Like there's New York, LA, Chicago, Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, and Houston's just a huge city. I mean, we also have Austin, which is growing and like the art scene in Austin's quite different like Houston has has very much has the um grown up um gallery system and infrastructure mm, okay um whereas Austin doesn't quite have that like we have some galleries and and that sort of thing but there's not as many as there are artists so we really do have a lot of um like kind of creative energy and like startup like Austin's like very much a startup city like you know lots of startup businesses and um so the art scene is kind of kind of that way as well so there's a a lot of creative energy there and um ut austin of course is an amazing school um you know and then there's also like i always it's funny like i always try to sell people like man like texas state just south of austin where i teach in san marcus it's amazing it's amazing school you know but i think people don't know about it as much um so we have like these great schools and then North Texas, like there's the Dallas Fort Worth area. We just have a lot of big, we have a lot of big cities. Like Texas is a large, one of the largest economies, you know, yeah. not just in the U S but in the world. So I think anywhere you just kind of have that mm-hmm. mix, you're going to have something, yeah. you know, I don't think it's anything. I mean, particular to, to Texans. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, we just have a, a lot going on in general right yeah. big big state um what do you th- i'm just curious like the lack of resources and re- as it relates to startup mm-hmm. seems like it is always the key ingredient to producing interesting and compelling things which is really cons- you know mm-hmm. as we grow like as mm-hmm. a non chakra art space grows mm-hmm. there is that resourcefulness that comes through haves and have nots and you know i'm just thinking out loud like there's some there's some optimal zone between uh, a small bit of haves and a small bit of have nots that keeps things live and in going you know um and so i just wonder like when you talk about the two cities with the grown-up gallery system and and austin as being maybe a little yeah. more aspirational what is that can, can you say a little more about that what that looks like yeah um or how, like, you, how you're thinking about that like mm-hmm. how you're parsing up the differences so what does that what does that mean well I mean, like, spe- like specifically, like, like, like Austin. Just you know, it's the town has grown rapidly. Okay. In like the past, you know, like even decade, like it's gone from being like a government and university town to being this huge town, and it's mostly like a tech-based town. And there's, um, it's very much like a music city, but there just hasn't been as much. You know, give yeah, it like to, Austin to, City to, Limits, yeah. yeah. There hasn't been as much in like the film industry, but mm-hmm. there hasn't been as much to like just the visual arts, right? So it's not really been its like lane. Um, but because we have like the universities and stuff around, um, and there's a lot of you know people going to art school, so there are a lot of artists, um, but there isn't just like you know. There, I think like it is like people like learning, ha- learning about the visual arts. Like there's certain like education, like educating, um, you know, people who would, you know, look at and buy art. Like some of that is still happening. Mm. 
Um, and that's been like the conversation about Austin since I've even been an undergrad, mm -hmm. you know, like we don't really have too many, too many galleries, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, we're also not too terribly far from like, you know, you know, places like Houston that have mm -hmm. like the big gallery system, right? like just tons of them. So yeah. maybe there isn't, as, there isn't that too much of a felt need, like there is a need, but they're also kind of, it's not like, like a huge pressure of a need to have that there. Right, right. But um, I don't know. Eventually, I think it's going to, eventually they'll probably have more of them. But Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So thinking about like staving off stagnation. Yeah, you know, I mean. Ascending to a point where you, you start to get into uh, sustain mm -hmm. mode more than advanced mode, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that's where Definitely. stagnation or implosion can occur. Yeah, like so, you know? I mean, a lot of us are just trying to figure out like, you know, how we how we kind of keep going like i'm a member of an artist collective in austin called icosa okay. and um i um a fairly recent membership i joined back in may or june of 2018 um but we're like a 20 person um collective and we have a gallery space at this um we had like a like a kind of a more upstart type of gallery space um that was attached to Pump Project where I had um, a studio like years ago. Um, but that building got sold because I think that they're going to, somebody's going to come in and make wine in a can in mm. that, in that, um, in that building now. Um, oh. Yeah. I, that's what I heard. Some wine in a can. They're going to make wine in a can there. <laughs> um, so all, so um, Icosa's gallery and then like the, all the studios, you know, we were, they were all kind of like given the, the heave ho. But luckily, Icosa, like right around the time they moved out of that warehouse that they're going to build the wine, in the can, they're going to make the wine in a cannon. Um, we got moved. <laughs> we were able to, to relocate to this big studio complex, which everything is shiny and new and like, you know, very pristine white walls. And it feels very grown up in a way that's kind of like, ooh, yeah, you know, to me. But it's really cool. Thanks um, a lot, wine in a can. Yeah. So yeah, we, so we re, we relocated there, but um, as as a collective, I think a lot of our our goals is um, just you know like sustainability, like mm -hmm. sustaining the arts in Austin, sustaining artists mm -hmm. in Austin. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're we're trying we're trying to be able to do. So um, what we do is like you know we have two person shows of collective members like on a, like a rotating like 18 month basis gotcha. and then we also have like some exchange shows with other with other collectives so it's kind of like an alternative to like you know like a gallery where you get like a show every year and a half or whatever mm, right um you know you know it's kind of our our way of maybe kind of dealing with that and also just creating community yep. and conversation and um you know, being with other artists and yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think like, that's the, I think that's where we're at. Like, I think we, I think that's the conversation is like, how do you achieve these goals for the generation we find ourselves in? Because galleries are closing. Yeah. Significant galleries are closing. Historic galleries are closing in New York, elsewhere. And so I think and things even, are going online. Yeah. Things are going unusual. online. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So trying to think like, what does the future look like? And you can only fight against certain trends or, or 
facts or realities, you know, so much. Mm-hmm. And so, but in, in, you know, I think the idea of holding on to the embodiment, embodied encounters with art, mm-hmm. um, uh, even if it also means working online and in, in, in that, like trying to find that tension, I guess, like hold those things together. And, you know, I definitely think we're racking our brains here on, on ways of uh, like programming and experiences that we can uh, achieve the same things. And I think there's, there's like, you either see it pessimistically or you, you look and you're, you see like, well, where are the opportunities yeah. and can we break from, we have to be willing to break from tradition, maybe undergo a certain amount of scrutiny or even be made fun of, you know, or mm-hmm. picked at because we're not hitting certain notes that are um, indicative of a past that is upheld, you know. Um, I definitely think it's it's an interesting time to, to try to do this, to try to be yeah. sustaining this. You know, we're several years in, uh, but um, really thinking a lot harder about it now. Yes. Uh, the collective part, I think, is, is pretty, always, always compelling um, as an idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, been yeah. a positive experience so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll close. We'll close shortly. But I, so, just what, talk about the. Um, I don't know um, the uh, the idea of anonymity mm-hmm. in your show. The idea of the anonymous space for the anonymous liquor. What what's it about the uh, anonymity? Can you say anything about mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Um. I think like. Um, when I say anonymous, I mean, like when I'm like anonymous viewer, sometimes you have to be like almost invisible in order to kind of have like a moment with yourself, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, kind of like, it's like the opposite of being on, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. Um, yeah. It's kind of like the opposite of, of being on, like almost like being a part of the background Right. So you can just have a moment like with, with yourself. So when I'm talking about like an anonymous viewer, um, I'm talking about like maybe not having to, not having to be on, like you right. kind of get to be quiet. Yeah. Um, when I talk about like anonymous space, I'm talking about like a, a space that could kind of be like all of the, all of the things that I paint are very specific. You know, like I could tell you where all of these places are, but that's not really important for the viewer to know. Sure. Like, um, it's not like the most important part of the work. I feel like, um, for the viewer, it could call to memory another place that they're familiar with. So the fact that that wall comes from, like, I found it in a Taco Bell drive-thru, like, that's like not the most important thing because I'm sure people, other people have encountered things like that. Right. So, um, it just kind of like, like opens that up a a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like an anonymous space. It's like, um, like you don't need to know that that corner came from like the dentist office. Yeah. Um, but you've probably stared at a corner before like that, Mm. you know? Yeah. Maybe not while your tooth was being drilled, but maybe you were having like, Maybe you were in another type of uncomfortable position and you found yourself like just trying to get through the moment by staring at a corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, you know, like that came up for you. Like, I think that these are, you know, I mean, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to use the word universal. Well, I think, like it, a, I think you're getting at the word. shared that's kind a, of It's like shared a shared experience. Like, shared experience. Right. Yeah. like it's, it's not just like, I think if it's overly specific or if I'm overly specific, specific, then it's about that specific place or it's about just me. And it just kind of closes it off in a way that I'm not interested in. 
Um, so there's always like that tension between like trying to make something not feel too generalized, but also making it not feel, you know, yeah, like exactly that, like that we're like, you know, like the, the viewer can't really relate to it in like their everyday experience. Cause I want viewers to be able to look at things and be able to kind of bring up their own everyday experience or as a way of like kind of getting them to see things in their daily life that maybe they didn't usually see. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of bring that up. And I feel like if it's just like, well, too specific, then you can't really do that. Right. Like if there's a distance that happens. So how does the geometry play a role in focusing that, like the contemplation? So mm-hmm. how do you, when you think, I mean, the whole history of geometry oh, yeah. and painting, which mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for, um, but how, how do you, how do you understand that as it pertains to what you're describing? you mentioned that as well yeah i mean like i mean just in general like geometric shapes have been used for um vehicles for contemplation forever mm-hmm. you know um i think that there's just something really satisfying about them that probably goes back to back to that but if you think about um just like every culture on this planet like you know in spiritual practice has some connection to to geometry so i mean i think just an idea just a attention for simple shapes out in the world mm-hmm. um you know yeah it kind of comes up it's kind of i mean I, it's kind of amazing that we don't get past it yeah i can't yeah, you can't get past it no i mean it's, it's, i don't want to use the word universal because that's like that's a big scary word yeah Huge. well you know you know i was say this like maybe it's weird place to end but you know mm-hmm. I, I, when i think about universal i think it's an equivocation of absolute and universal yeah and so something mm-hmm. can be universal but not ex- absolute and mm-hmm. exhaustive and so you know, i think i think those two things can happen mm-hmm. you know that's the that's the scary part is if we think about universal in an absolutized kind of way yeah but you know like uh you know things can there can, there can be things that are that tend to seem universal without being exhaustively the cage for each individual. Mm-hmm. So the way like universals and particulars hold together. Um, so particularly someone may not feel terribly the same way somebody else does. However, universally they're both acknowledging the same phenomena. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that the way those two work together mm-hmm. doesn't violate specific instances or people or what have mm-hmm. you. So, cause it does seem like geometry is a universal we, we, you can't get it's like it's like building blocks or something you can't get around it you, you can't move past it um it's just sort of there all the time you build a house <laughs> you, you build anything yeah uh, you, you default to certain shapes and com- I'm not, you get into complex math but yeah this is there so, yeah you look under a microscope and yeah it's, like, it's there yeah it's just it's amazing yeah if we did a bunch of mushrooms right now we could have a great conversation about this but uh, we're not going to do that so um, oh, no, you found the secret. <laughs> yeah, the secret right there. There it is. No. And that's for our next podcast. Yeah, no, where, all, no. where we interview Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, well, th- yeah. You have any closing thoughts, Gary? No, I'm just, I, I'm just I'm just really excited to get back in the gallery and look at the paintings some more. It's like I said, they've been stuck in my head. So uh, giving myself another chance to go be contemplative with them. I'm yeah. really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, this show will be up for a few months, so we'll, we'll talk more about it in our next episode, but do come see the show. The show uh, is up. 
It is a, a show worth coming to look at on a sunny day or a rainy day because we've been having a lot of rainy days in Richmond. So do come mm-hmm. see the show. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, gallery is open by appointment, but also we have hours that will be coming up. You'll, you can find those hours on our uh, Facebook page and our Instagram page and uh, be looking out for our, our next episode. And, and we just want to thank you, Lana, for, you for so being much. here. It's just bringing an incredible show and a lot of uh, incredible insights. We really appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, and thank you for having me. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottom.